Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Someone wise once told me that it's easier to save your way out of an investing mistake than it is to invest your way out of a savings mistake. A lot of us know what a budget is and can put it in a spreadsheet. A few people can actually stick to it. In this countdown episode, coming in at number 11 on the Australian Investors Podcast, I chat with Dave Gao. Dave is the author of the popular blogging website called Strong Money. He's also the author of the Strong Money book. This episode was first published on the 22nd of December, 2022, around the time that Dave was releasing his book. What's remarkable about Dave's book is that it is self-published. You may not know this, but many books in Australia are ghostwritten. They're written by someone else and not the author, at least in part or in full. This book is a raw and honest look at how to save and invest for your future. Dave was one of the early advocates of the financial independence movement, but his book has gone on to sell more than 10,000 copies talking about something that many people, in the past at least, wouldn't spend much time talking about. This is the only episode of the 15 most impactful on the Australian Investors Podcast that talks about concepts like how to budget and invest for your future how to buy back your time, and so forth. This is episode number 11 of the Countdown series on the Australian Investors Podcast. If you like it, don't forget to subscribe to the series as we count down to number one. This is Dave Gow of Strong Money Australia. Hey, Dave. Thanks for taking some time to join me on the podcast. No worries, man. Thanks for having me. Where are you joining us from? I'm in Melbourne. Where are you? I'm in Perth. Perth, okay. Looks like we got a pretty good internet connection, so hopefully it um it hangs with us the whole time. But yeah. uh, it's a super super special day for us because I know you got the book coming out uh, in. We're recording this ahead of the launch, but it, this episode will probably air after that, um, which is super exciting, mate. Like um like a culmination of all your blogging, podcasting over the years, and uh, I for one find your story to be very like inspiring. Like I find I like the book, reading the book, your your blog posts, and just the general demeanor with when it comes to personal finance and investing is is just refreshing. So 
Um, I think this conversation is going to be a lot of fun for people that are interested in like how to design your lifestyle, how to save, how to balance life with work and finance and everything that comes with that. But maybe just to, maybe to kick the scene, uh, set the scene, can you just explain like a quick overview of what fire means? Hmm. Sure. So I suppose everyone would have heard of the acronym by now. Yeah. So FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And essentially, it's, it's turned into somewhat of a movement, I suppose, where a large group of people, typically young people, but not always, are deciding to use their money differently. And instead of spending it all, as soon as they get it, they're deciding to save and invest for the future. Um, and in doing so, over time, building up a portfolio of investments, building up wealth and building up some passive income so that they can start gaining more control over their life and have more freedom as a result of that. And then they can spend their time doing more things that they enjoy. And that the tricky part is that might still include work. So that part kind of throws people off a bit because they think retire early, but that means I do nothing. So that can kind of confuse people a bit. But really, it's about rejigging your life to have the right kind of balance between work and all the other things that you want to do in your life and how you'd like to spend your time. So that mm. part kind of uh, trips people up a bit. So I'd like to clarify that just at the front. Yeah, sure. Um, and a lot of people would be familiar with your with your blog, Strong Money. Um, people would be familiar with the podcast that you guys did. Um, even you're on Twitter, you're everywhere. Um, and so we'll have all the links to learn more about Dave uh, and, and the book. Um, the book will be available in uh, like a physical book, it'll be an ebook, audio book, like it'll be everywhere. So we'll have links in the show notes. Go and check it out. I super highly recommend it for anyone that wants like a well-rounded take on money and investing generally, as well as lifestyle. Like it covers all of the essentials you need to know in Australia. Um, what was the what was the kind of the catalyst for getting you started, like and on this path towards financial independence? So it's, I suppose it started when I was around 19, 18, 19. Mm-hmm. I was working in a factory here in Perth um, and the work was all right. You know, it was like pretty simple type factory work, but the guys were good to work with and I didn't mind it. And the, the pay was like, okay, it wasn't anything spectacular, but it was okay. So I wasn't minding it and I was, you know, earning some money, feeling like an adult and all that. Uh, but then we got a, we got a new boss at this workplace and he was just like terrible, (laughs) like just a complete asshole, to be honest. Um, and it really made me question, question and kind of rethink work itself, not just because of the boss and, and how the workplace changed, but because of how it affected the people at the workplace and their reaction to it. So What I noticed was everyone seemed to be more or less upset and unhappy with the situation and with the changes in the workplace and the new boss and everything, the the, um, new conditions and all that he was trying to implement. But nobody really questioned anything. They just kind of accepted it and like, oh, this is just reality now. This is just the way it is. And that kind of bothered me. Like, why does nobody, why does everyone think this is okay? Hmm. Uh, so then I started thinking, well, 
something's not right here. And why am I the only one who's feeling like this? So I kind of asked a couple of people like, why, why are you staying here if you don't like it? Because it was quite clear that people were pretty unhappy and they're like, well, I've got bills to pay. And that was kind of the general theme between speaking with a bunch of people. And I did, just started to bother me and I just thought, like, if, you, if you're wealthy, obviously you don't have to put up with things like that. But it seemed to be that people just resigned to the fact that, well, I have to work every week forever and there's no other option. And I have to put up with uh, a certain workplace or people that are at a workplace that I don't like because I need this money. And that really bothered me. Um, and I started to actually not enjoy going to work at all. I started to resent the fact that I had to go to work. So... My attitude actually got really bad at this workplace because I, I kind of lost respect for the boss and the management and the job we were doing because um, I didn't agree with the changes and there was not really much I could do about it at that point. Um, but my attitude got so bad that I actually got fired from that job. Uh, and so at that point I decided to... Well, first, I wasn't actually stressed out about that because I had some savings. So that was like a good start. What did you have, like 20 grand or 25 grand or yeah, something? Yeah, it was about $20,000 at that point that I'd saved from the last mm. uh, year and a half of working and renting with friends and saving up a little bit. Um, so instead of like going straight back to work, I decided to just take the summer off um, and just, you know, take some time off, relax for a bit and then figure out what I want to do after that. And so that summer was awesome, to be honest. It was really, really helpful and it really changed my outlook on life and then what I wanted to do for the future. So I guess living, living off my savings over summer and being able to do like whatever I wanted at any time of the day I wanted and all the rest of it for like a period of three or four months, it kind of gave me a taste of what it was like to be wealthy without actually being wealthy because it's just the idea of having money you're still able to pay your bills, um, but you're, you're able to do whatever you want at the same time. So that was like really powerful in my mind. Like, wow, this is amazing. I have to make this like a permanent reality somehow. I don't know mm. how, but I just have to do it. Um, and the other idea was when I go back to work, I, I'm not going to, like I can't just be one of these robots for the next 40 or 50 years working 40 or 50 hours a week i just can't do it that's not for me i have to figure out some other option there has to be some other way of like living life this is just, just not right i can't i couldn't accept that for my future so that's when i decided to start learning about uh, how to build wealth and find some other alternative to like the rat race at that point how did you do like obviously the obvious question is like how did you do that because everyone in, in some way, right, like everyone wants to escape that. Like everyone wants to be like, yeah, I don't like this. I want to be my own boss in life. I want to spend my days, you know, like you're doing now caring for turtles and that sort of stuff, right? Like I want to do this stuff. So how did you then go, well, even like the information, like where did you get your information? Like what did you do? Like what's that first part, I guess? So I started Googling just Gen like everyone does, how to how to build wealth or how to, I think it was mostly how to build wealth, not how to retire early. I hadn't quite got that idea in my head at that point. Um, how to build wealth because I thought, well, I need wealth to be able to have more options in life. Mm. Okay, so I started looking at that. And um, the most common information I was finding is, okay, you've got to read books on wealth. So I started reading all these different books on wealth and learning about 
saving and investing and all that. And I, I wasn't actually able to find blogs and all that at the time. This is probably like 2008 or something like that. Um, so it was mostly books in the early days. Blogs came much later for me, especially. I didn't find them until much later. So it was really learning about wealth and the basic principles of investing and compound interest and saving and all the rest of it. Um, and then I went down the path of investing and I was focused on property for most of my journey, actually, until the later stages where I started learning about and then focusing on shares. Um, but that was that was the path that I initially took was reading books and learning and, and saving more aggressively and then starting to buy assets. I think you say in the book that the next job you got up, you got after the summer where you kind of like found yourself again, so to speak. Um, I think you say in there that you were, there was a chance to earn, I think you were earning 20 bucks an hour or you could work weekends or uh, yeah, uh, overtime and you get 30 bucks or something. And then you'd work um, Sundays, you get $50 an hour. So I, I thought about that and I was like, okay, good money, like better than what you were earning by the sounds of it. And I was like, well, how do you go from that and then you were financially independent at 28, right? Like, how do you, like, that's like, that's like blows my mind. Like, I'm guessing that's like less than 10 years. So how do you, like, you must have like worked your butt off or like saved a lot. Like, this is what people are thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. So both, I guess, is the answer. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, my pay did increase quite a bit at that second job. Um, and there was night work and weekend work and overtime as well but I still I still wasn't earning like six-figure money it was more like high five figures I suppose you know like 70 80 90 thousand dollars um but the real secret was keeping my expenses as low as possible and so this is what the fire movement is essentially famous for is earning decent money but not letting your lifestyle inflate to the point where it consumes all of that money because if it does no matter how much you earn your expenses just keep ratcheting up and you don't actually keep any of that money if you don't keep any money you're never going to have any money because you just it's just leaving mm. it's coming in and it's going out as fast as it's coming in so that's not gonna you're not going to get anywhere so that that became quite obvious to me so i was quite aggressive with the saving and that's the real secret and so there's um there's some tables you can find online and there's a table in the book that shows you essentially as you ramp up your savings rate it cuts down massively the amount of years you have to work before you can become financially independent because your expenses are lower. So because your expenses are lower, you need much less in investments to live on to get to the point where you don't have to work anymore. Um, so, yeah, it was a combination of hard work, extra, extra work, extra hours, aggressive saving, and then if you just earn like a decent return on your money, it doesn't have to be spectacular, Eventually, you get to the point where it's it's enough for you to step away from full time work. How did you decide that you were financially independent? <laughs> uh, it's quite funny, actually. I didn't even. I won't say I didn't realize it, but so what happened was we built up a portfolio of pretty much just property at that point through like hardcore saving and being aggressive with um, borrowing as well. Um. And so we got to this point where we'd done it for quite a number of years and built like a decent net worth, 
But then our properties were still like costing us money. So we actually didn't have any passive income. Mm. And we also couldn't buy any more properties because the lending environment changed at that, at that particular time. So, but we still had like this regular ongoing savings to invest. I'm thinking, oh, where am I going to invest this money? So I, that's when I took a second look at shares. Uh, but this time like focusing on dividend income. And so then I, the share market started making a bit more sense at that point. I'm like, huh. So you own these shares, these businesses, and they pay you some of their profits as dividends. And so company profits go up over time. The dividends go up over time. I'm thinking, oh, we could actually use that income to live on. Mm. And so obviously in Australia, dividends are quite generous and there's franking credits as well, which kind of bumped that up a bit higher. So then I realized, wow, if, if our money that's parked in property, if that was actually parked into shares, we could more or less retire or retire pretty soon. And so that was a, a process of questioning what we should do. Should we start selling these properties or should we like work longer to get to a certain point or what should we do? But roughly around that time, we realized, wow, I think we actually have enough to step away from work if our money was over here instead of over there. So mm. that was kind of how we realized we were financially independent, which is a bit of a strange way to come about it. Do you think that if you had your time again, you would have gone that same route of property first and then shares? Like, do you think that makes sense? Uh, I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't do that. I did it because that was what I understood at the time. Well, that was all I was comfortable with, essentially. I wasn't, I didn't know. Well, at the start of the journey, I did look at the share market and I just didn't really understand. I didn't. Like, because everyone just mm. talks about prices, and you just look, you see the charts, and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't get it. And then you see, you, know, you hear about the GFC, which was roughly around the time that I was getting invested. I'm like, oh no, that doesn't sound like <laughs> the right place for my savings. Uh, so I wasn't really, didn't really give it much chance at the start. But looking back now, and having been able to have experience with and compare both of the asset classes, I would probably just go for shares from the start if I was to do it again. And the reason being is that as soon as you start, well, there's no need to borrow like hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars and all that to build a portfolio. But from the start, as soon as you start putting your savings into shares, you start to receive passive income, like it's positive income from day one. And it, every time you invest more money, bang, your, your investment income goes up. And so it doesn't actually take that long if you're good with savings. So that's the key. That's mm. the key trick there, the, the key criteria. If you're good with saving, it doesn't take all that long for that passive income to start getting bigger and bigger because you're constantly throwing in savings to the portfolio every month. So the portfolio gets bigger, starts spitting out more income. You can reinvest that income and then eventually you can use that to scale down work, I guess, as your income grows. You can do it all at once or one day at a time or however you'd like to do it. But it's kind of, I find it more certain that way because you, as soon as you put that money in, your passive income goes up. So I like that aspect of it. So, and it's a, it's a lot simpler as well. You don't have to take large leverage bets on single assets in specific locations. And they, there's not the cost involved as well. So like, I guess with property, you've got tens of thousands of dollars in stamp duty and sometimes tens of thousands more for lenders, mortgage insurance, and then... Quite often, the property's negative cash flow to start with in most 
most cities in Australia, so that doesn't help. And then interest rates might go up, so you're out of pocket even more. And then the growth might be flat for a little bit. So you can be easily looking at like five years or sometimes even longer with no actual profit because of all these costs that kind mm. of put you behind to start with. And um, then you've got to catch up and then get some growth after that. So mm. it's, yeah, there's a bit more to it than, than first meets the eye when, when comparing the two. But I would probably just do sh- shares if I was starting again today just because it's a bit simpler. I actually like how you said the savings is the key point. I've, um, I've got some young guys down from Canberra just spending a couple of days here in the office with me learning about everything. And um, I was saying to them, like, the best advice you could probably get in the first three to five years is just, like, get a bigger shovel. Like, just get a – somehow shovel more money into your savings, like, into your investing, rather than focus on, like, what strategy am I going to use, what stock or ETF am I going to invest in or what property. Like, just – earn more and spend less in the first five years. It's when it's most important. So go and do that. One of the things though, mate, that a lot of people struggle with, in fact, I struggle with this is like, it's like, it seems like sacrifice, right? Like in, I guess maybe that wasn't the case for you. So if that wasn't the case for you, what were some of the key like challenges or hurdles that got in your way? Because we all have this like spreadsheet that says, yeah, we'll just grow our wealth. But then there's like bumps in the road. There's, you know, turns, twists, falls, like all different types of stuff that happens in life. So I guess one of the one of the first things that uh, was a challenge for me was convincing my partner that it was a good idea mm. to, to like save more aggressively because I was the one who was a bit more, I, I guess, obsessed, you could call it, yeah. um, than she was. But so, so she was a bit hesitant at, at increasing our savings. She liked the idea of investing and, and reti- being able to retire early and spend your time more selectively. But the spending less part was a little bit trickier. So uh, we, we had a few discussions about like what was important to us and what we cared about, what we didn't care about, how we wanted our lives to look like over the long term and short term and whatever. So that was quite helpful, like opening up the discussion. And then to her credit, she, she was willing to try it and to test this, to test like my theory of like, mm, we could try and do this, this and this and let's, let's just see if we are less happy because that was, that's obviously one of the big worries that everyone has is like if I reduce my lifestyle costs, well, surely I'm going to live like a, a less enjoyable life or I'm not going to have as much like not going to be mm. as happy basically. So, but it turns, a lot of the time it turns out that that's not actually true. It's just, we're, it's just what we've become accustomed to, whether it's a higher or lower or whatever. It's just, we, we, we're like a customization machines in a way, the, the human beings. So, it's quite funny in that regard. So, we, we did uh, go about this uh, increasing our savings and changing our lifestyle here and there to increase our savings rate. And so, she was... Uh, confronted, I suppose, with the situation where, okay, we're doing these things and we, we're not doing certain things we used to do, but I'm actually not less happy. In fact, I actually kind of like this. Like I'm able to do this and this instead of a couple of other things I used to do, but I'm not less happy at all. In fact, like I'm pretty happy about where our life is and where we're headed and all the rest of it. So that provided, I guess, more motivation to save and look for other areas where we could, you know, like... Um, tweak things or cut back on something to do something else 
So that was really helpful. And that was, so that was a, a big challenge. And a lot of people that I've heard from go through a challenge like this where one spouse is more motivated than the other or more one spouse is more wedded to the idea of higher saving than, than the other one. Um, but, yeah, communication is really big because you want to be on the same page because you're supposed to be a team. So you've got you've got to kind of respect the other party and have proper discussions about what's important and, and what's not and take it from there. And I guess the other challenge that I faced was deciding whether to bite the bullet and, and change our strategy, which was from property initially to shares because we'd like focused on that for so many years and then to, to change, it's not that easy. And then especially to start selling because the idea was, well, okay, if our, if our savings was over here instead of there, we, we could actually retire and live on dividend income or whatever. So to do that, we'd have to start selling down our property. So that's not obviously an easy decision to mm. something to take lightly, especially because property seems to be treated like something never, never, never sell property. So uh, that was a tricky decision, but it was worth it in the end because the benefits obviously outweighed the the um, the cons of of doing it the other way. Because if we tried to just keep our properties and keep doing it that way, and eventually get enough income from property, it would have taken a lot, lot, lot longer, just mm. because of all the costs involved. I'd like to just go back for a second. I realized we didn't cover something. We kind of started at your journey. Um, in Perth, but you're a Victorian boy, right? Yeah, yeah, country Victoria. Yeah, um, it's quite a few of us. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, you, when you left Victoria, how old were you? 18. So I left about three months after I got my license. And you, I think you said that you had 800 bucks. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, I got to Perth and had about $800 in the bank. <laughs> So, and so then if you were 18 and then you went straight into work, did you go to uni? No, no, I didn't finish school. I dropped out of school. So I dropped out of school and I had like a part-time job at Big W back in my hometown <laughs> um, and then had, I was 18 at the time and then had a couple of friends who'd moved over to Perth maybe six months earlier, maybe a year earlier, maybe a year earlier. Um, and so they were telling me how nice it is and the weather and there was lots of jobs at the time because this is like mining boom years. Um, so economy was on fire. And I, and I actually looked up the jobs for myself, like no experience required, you know, like all these different jobs, like hundreds and hundreds of jobs, basically no experience required. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds like, <laughs> sounds like I'd have no trouble getting a job. So that was kind of the idea behind it. And I really didn't have much going on in my in my town. There was not much happening and little, very little prospect of like getting a good job there and all the rest of it. So I didn't really have any hesitation about moving, especially since I knew a couple of people in Perth already. Mm. I just The reason why I wanted to put that in the conversation is because a lot of people think, and I've spoken to a lot of people that were early fire movers and people like Pete Wargent, right? I know you know. Um, yeah. And Pete was like, a really like sophisticated accountant, really like educated and um, all that stuff, you know, and he achieved fire pretty quickly. And a lot of people, maybe the criticism would be like, oh, well, maybe he's, you know, he's accountant really good with money or he, 
you know, he had a really good job and I don't know. There could have been like, you know, glass houses and all that. And yet you've shown, this is what I find is so impressive, is you've shown you don't need that stuff. Like, no, no, this is no offense to Ped. I love him. But, um, or anyone that, you know, whatever, you've shown that you don't need that stuff. So if you have, if you're listening to this or watching this and you have a, a limiting belief around, I'm not smart enough, you know, I'm not earning enough, like, go and pick up Dave's book because he'll show you how you go from having $800 and going across the country to achieving financial independence in late 20s. Like, I don't know if you, that's just me riffing, but I don't know if you have anything to say about that. But like, I find a lot of people have so many limiting beliefs and that's the number one thing that stops people going on a journey like this. Yeah, that that's definitely one of them. Like just talking about Pete, Pete I actually got a lot of inspiration from Pete because his first book, you know, when he, mm. he retired at 33, like that was my favorite book at the time, you know, because I was, yeah, it's great. I was probably, oh, what would it have been? probably like halfway on my journey by then. I'm like, oh, an Australian example of someone who's retired early. And I was just like, my mind would just lit up and I was so excited. So I just read everything he he wrote after that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but but in, in that first book, like he talks a lot about um, having the right kind of mindset and changing your your cutting back your lifestyle costs so that you can invest because if you don't, then you'll probably never invest. And like another thing, as you were saying, like it's it's not dependent on your income as much as people think it is. It's more dependent on your desire to save. Like if you if you want to be able to find a way to do it, you will find a way to do it. In, with mm-hmm. your current situation, you might have to... Um, you might have to cut back on certain things, but cut back on things that aren't that important to you because not everything is equally important. So we sometimes we get confused and we think that everything has equal importance and if we cut one thing, that means we're going to miss out on whatever. But really deciding to save and invest, is you're not just like taking something away and not getting anything in return. And so this is the problem I have with the idea of sacrifice. The idea of sacrifice, how we tend to think of it is like, Sacrifice as in just giving something up. But this is not the case at all. Like if we're uh, reducing our expenses so that we can invest, we're actually choosing something else. We're choosing saving, we're choosing investing, and we're choosing all the benefits that come along with that. But all we tend to focus on is this little thing that we're giving up. But the so I think we, we need like a mindset shift around that kind of thing, around around the idea of sacrifice. So that's an important one. But, yeah, like th- there is a lot of things that a lot of unhelpful beliefs that we have around money and what it takes to build wealth and whether you're worthy of it. Sometimes people feel guilty about saving money or having money or they think they need a certain education and they need a certain level of intelligence like you were saying. But that's, that's really not the case at all. You just need to have a certain level of interest and be willing to learn and be willing to make certain changes and just be willing to keep taking action towards a goal that you want for your future. Mm, yeah, I love it. Um, yeah, I think that the, the, the why 
you know, the why is really important. And I think once you discover the why, it's no longer a sacrifice, right? So a lot of people think that, in my opinion, a lot of people think budgeting and saving money is about sacrifice because they don't identify with something that has like a higher meaning or a greater meaning to them. Hmm. And it's only once you identify with that meaning that then you go on and you think, now I know I, this is not a sacrifice because this is on the path. I'm on the journey to something bigger and better. And that means more to me. That's a bigger, you know, motivation than this thing, this whatever it is that I'm giving up. Um, like I, I messaged you a few weeks ago and I said, hey, do you want to come over to Melbourne? We're doing this event and um, do you want to come and be part of it? And you're like, oh, well, it's the middle of, I can't remember what you said. It's like, like it's like the middle of turtle season or something like this. And I was like, <laughs> I did, that is probably the, out of the million things he could have said. <laughs> I did not expect him to say he's taking care of turtles or something like this. And um, I guess my question is around that. It's not about <laughs> turtles, but you could talk about turtles if you want to. It was more like, um, how do you think about like lifestyle design and like what, reaching financial independence has done for you and how you structure your day or your life now? Yeah, it's a, it was a bit of a random answer, I suppose, wasn't it? <laughs> I liked it. Yeah. Uh, um, lifestyle design. So I, I kind of think about it in terms of I want to have time for everything that I want to have time for. I don't want to feel too restricted. Like I... I like to have a routine, but I also don't like to feel boxed in by that routine. So it's like a fine balance because I want to do certain things, but I don't want to feel like I have to do them. <laughs> so it's quite strange in that in that respect. So I guess as for my lifestyle at the moment, in, in the mornings I like to spend time uh, usually pr- productively, like I use, like to spend time writing and, and I also do exercise in the morning. Um, in the afternoons, I like to hang out with my partner and our dog, play with the dog, go for walks, maybe go for a bike ride, hang out in the garden or maybe we'll go to the beach and have a coffee or something like that um, or run a few errands. If we have things to do, I'll do that in the afternoon. And then at night time, I just like to relax and maybe read or watch something on YouTube or listen to a podcast and all that. So I like that live a pretty simple life where... I'm kind of maximizing the amount of freedom I have at all times and keep, but while still keeping like my options open to do other things. So maintaining some sort of flexibility, but still getting things done that are important to me and living a healthy lifestyle at the same time. So it's kind of balancing all those things. And so when I compare it to my old lifestyle where you just like work, I'd work like 10 hour shifts or something. I come home and be tired. I might exercise for a bit and then I'll just be too tired to do anything else. I might read for a little bit and go to bed and then you do it all again. It's like chalk and cheese. Like so instead of being um, productive for 10 hours and then having a couple hours of free time, it's the opposite. I'll be productive for a few hours and I've got a ton of free time. So that's, that's how I like to think about lifestyle design. But I like to, yeah, maximize freedom at, at all times and minimize the amount of things I'm doing that I'm not enjoying. Mm. How do you, how do you respond to the criticism, Dave, that like, say some people are like, well, you know, you're still young, you could be working, you could be doing all this stuff. Um, how do you respond to that? Like, you know, I guess you kind of answered in your question, but like, I'm, I'm sure you get that kind of 
feedback every now and again. Like, why would you want to do that? Like kind of thing, you know what I mean? Like, well, I guess the question is purpose. Like what purpose do you have if you're not working? You know, like this is, I'm just, this is what I'm throwing yeah, yeah, at you, yeah. not me. Yeah. Well, we're assuming, we're assuming one is more valuable than the other for a start. Why is a, a 10 hour work shift at Megacorp more valuable than 10 hours with, with your family or on your health or your hobbies? Why, why have we chosen? Cause there's a dollar sign benefit with one of them and not the other one. I don't yeah. really, I don't buy into that idea at all. Why, why have we decided that that's the case? So you can be productive in the economy. Hmm. I don't know, man. Like that's, it's quite, we seem to just have assumed that that's the be all and end all when maybe it's not. Hmm. Um, what was the rest of the question? Oh, no, that's basically it. Like I think you just framed it perfectly. Um, I guess one of the things that you mentioned before is like, you and your partner, like it's like a team-based thing, right? And a lot of people hearing this would be like, that is so incredible. They're like, well, that is just awesome. Like, and you mentioned some of the struggles, like the challenges, I guess. That was like the big one. But what what kind of what advice would you have to anyone that's like listening to this and thinking, well, how do I help like convince my partner that this is the right thing to do? And um get him or her over the line and, you know, get on this, this journey with me. It's really tough. It's, it's, it's genuinely tough. I mean, some people will never get there just because their belief system is too wired in one direction. So you, you won't be able to reach, you won't be able to reach everyone, whether it's friends or family or spouse or whoever it is, but how you can get closer towards being on the same page is just trying to see their perspective, see, trying to see what they value and understanding why they value it. Because if you can understand why they value it, then you know what, they, what they're doing, why they're doing. And then you can, try and, um, you can try and come at them from a different perspective and show them, okay, if that's your goal, let's, what if we did it this way instead? And so you still get those some of those benefits you like about that particular lifestyle or whatever but it doesn't have to be so focused to the point where you're giving up your entire life essentially for those benefits mm. so it, it is tricky um i guess comp if both parties can come to some sort of compromise then that's really good because then you're kind of meeting in the middle instead of like trying to fight each other over like well we should be saving 50% of our pay and the other one's like, no, we should be saving none of our pay. And it's like, well, <laughs> how about maybe like we meet in the middle and we save 25% or something like that and we try and keep both parties happy where they still get to do the things they want and are still able to focus on what's important to them while coming to a, a team goal at the same time. But it, there's no easy answers. There really isn't. It's, it's tricky. But just it's, I guess it's about communication and trying to understand the other party and, seeing it from their perspective and trying to create some sort of a plan for the future together that you're both happy with. I've got it. I'm just wanted to switch gears, mate. How did you, how did you decide, like, I guess not how, but why did you decide to write a book? Is it to help other people and to give them like, uh, cause I know, I know from speaking with a lot of authors, it's not, doesn't even if you sell a lot of books, you don't become a millionaire from writing books, right? So, um, and you self-published, which is quite rare. Like it's quite rare. So, 
And by the way, that means that you don't go through a publisher and you've got to do all the legwork yourself if you're listening to this and you don't know what that means. So I guess like just what, 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 what was the reason to write it? Yeah. Uh, so after, I suppose, making content mostly written but podcasts as well for like five years and then also seeing how much content is out there, it's it feels like it's gone to the point where it's really, even just my own content, it feels like it's gone to the point where it's really, it's likely to be overwhelming for people. Like I look at my website, I'm like, oh, wow, look how much, look mm. how many articles there is on here. This must be just like crazy to wade through, you know. So it got to the point where I, I wanted to try and distill everything down as best I could like all of the the principles and all of the lessons that I'd learned and all of the the things that I wanted to pass on, I wanted to try and distill all that down into like one thing that someone could give to their friend or their family member or something like that that's like, here you go, this is pretty much everything you need and it's like Australian focus and all the rest of it, all in one spot. You don't have to read a 1,000 articles. You don't have to listen to 50 podcasts. Um, so that was like the main the main driver behind it, just wanting to distill everything down. And then I, I, I feel like I come at things a little bit differently from other people because I like to understand not just like what to do but why to do it a certain way. So I remember at school, if I didn't understand why I was doing something, I just couldn't do it. I just I couldn't <laughs> buy into the idea. I had to understand why. So when I... When I do my writing of whatever it is, I like to, there's always like a, some sort of a philosophy behind it. Like the, I like to put the why in there as well because then once you understand why things are a certain way and why things, why it's good if you do things a certain way, you understand the principle. So then you can adapt it to your own situation. You're not just left with like a set of instructions. You've got actually, you've got like principles that you can hold on to and then you can tweak it for yourself and um, adapt it for your own goals and your own um, personal taste. You don't have to just follow a set of step-by-step instructions. So I feel like that might be a bit different from other books. Um, so I wanted to focus on that as well because that's kind of a, a part of my writing that um, I feel is a little bit unique. Mm, definitely. So what did you, so like, I'm very fortunate, Dave. We're very fortunate. Like thousands and thousands of people listen to this podcast, right? And so I want you to imagine that if I'm listening to this, I'm thinking about getting your book and I read the book from front to back, what do I take away from it? I hope it gives you the sense that that financial independence is not only just possible well, you'll, you'll understand how and why it's possible and how it, how it wasn't for almost the entirety of human history up until the last few decades, say, a couple of decades for the, for the middle class, that is. So I hope you take away the huge opportunity that we have in front of us that you can, that you can pursue if you choose to. And I hope it gives you the like everything, everything that you need to make that a reality and make your future plans and, and lifestyle goals a reality. And I, I, can't, I like the book because 
a lot of books, as you know, focus on like one thing, like it's like property investing, budgeting, debt. You know, you kind of come at it like this is like everything. Like this is like how I did it, but like here's what you need to know about these things. And that's why I said at the, the top of the show that it's like a really rounded exploration of like the key things that matter and the key things that probably don't. Um, it, it, are you the one that's voicing the audio book? Like, cause I haven't heard it obviously, cause it hasn't come out yet. I am. Uh, yes. I yeah. Am. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah. I, can ima- I can imagine your voice is like pretty chilled out and uh, pretty relaxed. And um, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I mean, I highly encourage people that have it, that don't have like the, have it in them to read the book over Christmas to just go and listen to the audio book because you will get a lot from it. Hopefully um, my voice doesn't put them to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, that's probably what you want. You want someone that's relaxed about these things and wants to be like, wants to soothe the anxiety of, you know, talking about money because it is such a, a crucial thing yet. It is such a sensitive thing for so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I might just ask one more question is like, how important do you think mindset is? And maybe you can just take this, like if your mindset suits this approach, um, like do you think that like how you think about things is um, an advantage for this type of strategy? Like do you think anyone can change their mindset like and get around this type of thing? Mm, that's a good question. I do think anyone can change their mindset because we're not all – born with a certain mindset that stays that way forever you mm. mem- you you probably can think of everyone listening can probably think of things that they know or believe now that they wouldn't have five years ago because we grow and evolve as a person and so our thoughts all the things that we're consuming and bring into our brain and our thoughts and the things that we do they influence what we believe and they then form our values and the way we approach our life and the things we choose to do and not do and that trajectory that our, our life takes from those thoughts and beliefs that we build. So our mindset is really, it, it's really everything, whether we're, what, whatever kind of life we're pursuing or whatever goal we're pursuing, our mindset will determine our, our success or otherwise in whatever area we're choosing. So it's really, it's, it's really massive. But I do think that it's something that can be learned and something that can be trained and developed over time. I genuinely believe that. Mm, I love it. Um, so I'll have all the links in the show notes to Dave's book. Um, for any of you that are RASC members, you will have seen Dave's writing inside our membership site a couple times. And uh, if you like what he uh, writes about, I do, um, you can follow through and there'll be uh, books available to purchase. You can also head to strong money as well, where you'll find everything that Dave does. Um, in terms of resources maybe that aren't your own, mate, is there anything that you would like that helped you or you would recommend to other people to maybe it's fire generally, maybe it's mindset, behavior, like you mentioned Pete's book before. Are there any other resources that you would kind of call out as ways to help people, you know, get on this journey and start whatever their definition of financial independence is, start moving towards that? I think Honestly, the best, uh, my favorite, my favorite blogger in this early retirement type space would have to be Mr. Money Mustache. Yeah, I just like, I mean, other other bloggers and other writers go into more details on like the finance side and investing and all the rest of it. But I just like the 
the, the almost the like almost constant humorous way he yeah. goes about things and the way he writes so he makes it because money and investing can be a bit boring and a bit dry at times so i just like the way he he takes a a funny approach to it and, and he mocks he mocks and points out stupid behavior and so he has a lot of fun with it while he's trying to instill some lessons about you know frugality and lifestyle and all the rest of it so that's one for early retirement uh in terms of Aussie stuff, I think obviously people might be familiar with Aussie Firebug. His, mm-hmm. pod, his podcast is a good listen. Um, and something a bit different, uh, Money Flamingo. Oh, yeah. That's a blog, quite a big promo- proponent of semi-retirement. And mm-hmm. so a very good uh, writer, I think her name is Tina. And so she's got some good stuff. So I'd, I'd recommend that as well. For those, especially those who are interested in more semi-retirement as opposed to full full FI, I'm um, I'm writing this down as we speak, so I don't forget it. Um, yeah, I think all of these are awesome, and they're especially Money Flamingo. She's on uh, she's on Instagram. Uh, if you if you're interested, so just could follow there. But mate, I, I really appreciate. It. Hopefully, this isn't the last time we speak on the podcast because I feel like there's so much we can unravel from just the the lip service that we gave some of those topics but um please head to strong money australia um i'll put a link in the show notes and you know he's everywhere you get everything so um check out the book there'll be books given away at our event if you're coming along in melbourne if not uh just head over to the website and make an order because it's great summer reading whether you're just starting on your journey or whether you're a few years into it it's the perfect kind of companion so um, kind of like like I said, it's really like covers all bases really succinctly. So, Dave, mate, thanks for thanks for taking some time to join me on the show. Thanks, I really appreciate it, man. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.